I agree with Kirsten. It's hard to come up after um, a time of worship like that. We could have just sat in that for a little bit longer. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you guys. Um, Kirsten is a dear friend of mine. Um, I met her when she came to Southeastern Seminary a long time ago, and we have definitely stayed in touch and had um, lots of opportunities to um, do ministry together and to talk about ministry. Um, you have a gym in, in Kirsten, um, so um, we're going to talk about a hard thing today. And um, I have to be honest, um, I'm coming um, to you this morning as a fellow sister in Christ who is on the same journey that you are in this topic. I have not arrived by any means, um, but I, I do hope that the Lord has given me something that will encourage you and challenge you um, in this area of contentment. If you have your Bibles, or if you want to look at um, Scripture on your phones, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. Our topic today is one that we all struggle against. It isn't just an American struggle, and it isn't unique to women. However, we know that discontentment is something all women battle, especially as we enter into the holiday season. We see, we see commercials about gift giving, and we want more and better, both to give to others and to receive. We see images of all of the holiday celebrations. We see beautiful tables spread with all the beautiful food, orderly children, well-decorated houses, and we begin to feel a deep sense of lack. We sing about joy and happiness and peace, but that isn't always the disposition of our hearts or our lives. Just this week, um, our popular podcaster and blogger Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth wrote about the seriousness of discontentment and how it destroys our relationship with God. She noted, it causes us to compare against what others have, and we always find ourselves on the side of having or being less. It causes us to doubt God's goodness and his ability to provide for us. It makes us crazy. We think and act irrationally. We say and do things that aren't true. Discontentment is also the gateway into other sins. We doubt God's plan, and then we try to improve on it. And this is the very heart of sin. Today, I want to talk to you about escaping discontentment. I wish I could talk about avoiding it, but in my experience, this is something that we all find ourselves in from time to time. So today, I want to help us live with contentment even in this holiday season. So what is contentment? If we look at the definition, we see that contentment is to be satisfied. Um, it's a state of being satisfied. It's the ease of mind. It is happiness with one's situation in life. Have you ever had thoughts like this? If I could just have one thing, insert husband, job, kids, beauty, fame, money, I'd be happy. Or maybe it's, if God would just answer this one prayer, insert the salvation of a loved one, 
reconciliation with a broken friendship or relationship, mending uh, your uh, finances or um, a physical um, healing, or maybe even sexual temptation, I'd be content. These two statements, which all of us, I think, pray or think at a time or two, they're a reminder that happiness is typically connected to our circumstances and our accomplishments in life. And unfortunately, when we get the things that we believe will make us happy, we quickly realize that it's only a temporary fix, right? Because it doesn't take us long before we're looking for something new to make us happy or we're looking for one more prayer to be answered so that we can be content. But the good news is that God doesn't want us to live our lives in a perpetual state of frustration and desire. He has provided the only thing that gives us complete satisfaction and contentment. And his gift is greater than anything that our hearts could ever desire in this and from this world. So let's go back and think about that. Let's remember, God created human beings and placed us in the perfect environment. He gave more than we needed and all that we could want. But sin ripped a hole in our hearts and caused a void. It shattered our relationship with God and with others. And it also sent us on this path of searching for the next forbidden fruit that might keep the promise of making us happy. In our fallen nature, we are idolaters. We are always looking for God in things and experiences. However, in his great love, he's provided for us an escape from this endlessly frustrating pursuit. Because Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. At the Summit Church, we have a, um, a saying that we can summarize the gospel in just four words. Jesus in my place. He took what we deserved and what he had became ours. He took my guilt and my shame and he gave me his purity. He took my punishment and gave me eternal life. He bridged the separation between us and God and made it possible for us to know him and for us to be fully known by him. And he filled our emptiness with himself. Ladies, this is the good news. This is the foundation for Christian contentment. So let's go and look at this um, section of Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 3. Now, Paul was writing from a jail um, to the church that had supported his missionary work. And in the process of thanking them for the material support, he reminded them where his ultimate joy and contentment rested. So we're going to read this together. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The first thing I want you to notice is that Paul is making every effort to make sure that we don't misunderstand where his joy is coming from. He is overflowing with joy, but this joy is not dependent upon nor in a response to receiving their gift. Paul's rejoicing, if you go back and look at the beginning of verse 10, was in the Lord. And in verse 12, Paul was able to do this because he knew how to be brought low. He knew how to have little, as well as how to abound. He knew how to have much. So continuing in verse 12, in any and every circumstance, he had learned the secret of facing plenty, how to abound, and hunger brought low, abundance abound, and need brought low. By the way, I don't want you to miss this point. Abundance doesn't solve discontentment any more than lack creates it. I'll say that again. Abundance doesn't solve discontentment any more than lack creates it. All we have to do is remember the Garden of Eden. Discontentment is a matter of misplaced hope, not the absence or presence of stuff or things. So this leads us to the question, how? What is the secret he's talking about in verse 12? We'll get to that in a minute, but before we do, let's look at one of the most misunderstood, misquoted verses in Scripture. Ladies, can you guess what it is? Verse 13, Paul can do all things. All things. He just talked about what that was. Both being brought low and abound, both hunger and being in need, because it is through Christ's strength, not his own. This verse is used by athletes, actors, business people. It's on shoes, plaques, clothing. Some of them put it on their body. Um, it's a source of, as a source of encouragement in a challenging situation. But the fact is, this verse deals with something more difficult than winning a national championship, a World Series, or getting a job promotion. This verse reminds us that in Christ, we can handle the deepest contentment, discontentments and idolatries of our hearts, and that it is much more difficult than any athletic or job accomplishment. So what did Paul mean when he said in verse 11, I have learned, and what did he mean in verse 12 when he said, I know, and he said, I have learned the secret. First, let's be reminded that this isn't natural. It's a journey. Second, this attitude comes from through Christ who strengthens me. And this wasn't an isolated statement for Paul. We can find this truth in other passages written by Paul. So here's a few. 1 Timothy 1-2, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 2-1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then in 2 Timothy 4-17, 
but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So the Greek word that Paul uses here for content means self-rule. And this might seem confusing, but we have to fight for this contentment. When Paul says, I can do all things in verse 13, it's because it is Christ through him. It is Christ through us that makes us able. It is the same Greek word when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, like self-control. It's also the same idea in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, when Paul says that we also work out our own salvation. Here's what's happening. We work out the miracle of salvation, of self-control, and of contentment, but it's Christ who creates it. So Paul learned that it is through Christ that he can be content in whatever situation. So in light of this, we need to look to Christ, not to our circumstances and not to ourselves. But throughout the whole book of Philippians, we can find other truths that Paul has learned, very practical learning that will help us stay focused and grounded in the word when we become discontent. Before I go over some of those, I just want to remind us that so often we come to Scripture and we get frustrated because it seems hard to understand. But if we would just take the time to sit in it and to really examine it, there's so much that we just find it right there. It's just right there. Um, But so often... We are so impatient, and we try to go outside of Scripture to find the answers that are right there. So as Paul talks about the things he's, he's learned, the place you need to go is the places where Paul has written, right? Because he's talking about all the things that he has learned. So in Philippians 1.12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul's imprisonment was for Christ. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Suffering is a gift. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in us for our good, and for also the good of the Father. And then Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Ladies, contentment surpasses all understanding. There are more. Paul passes on lots of crucial truths to be learned. However, these truths in themselves don't produce these things. John Piper says that the secret in verse 13 is a secret because we have to believe on these truths. Satan is aware of all these truths. He just doesn't believe them. So what do we have to learn to be content when we experience plenty 
and abundance. Now remember, we're not talking about worldly contentment because we're talking about contentment in Christ himself. Going back to verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So how do we rejoice in the Lord and not in the plenty and abundance? Well, he shows us in Philippians 1, 21 through 23, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is better. Ladies, our gain is Christ. Our gain is to be with Christ. And then in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So ladies, if you hear anything I say, I want you to hear this one statement. The key is to be satisfied in Christ himself, treasuring Christ above all. But I wanna pause for a minute because that statement is really hard and it's really challenging. It's challenging because by nature, we are all hostile to the authority of God. We are sinners and our sin drives us to desire things other than Christ himself. Our sin begins in the heart, but it's given a voice in our minds. So when we want something on a desired level, our mind will find a way to rationalize it or justify it, or come up with some kind of strategy to obtain it. Our mind joins our heart in its desire, and it paves a way for it to be satisfied. Yet that's not the only way that our minds and our hearts engage with each other. Conversely, the mind, our thoughts in particular, can deeply influence the desires and motivations of our heart. And because of this, it is vital that our minds be renewed and informed by the Word of God. Jen Wilkins says that when we come to understand who God is, we are changed. Our affections detach from lesser things and attach to Him. As we grow in our knowledge of God through the study of His Word, we will also grow in our love for Him. The reality is that we cannot treasure nor be satisfied in a Christ if we don't know him and or if we don't love him above all things. So for some of us today, the first step towards being content in Christ might be Bible intake. 
getting into the Word, reading, meditating, memorizing, praying, and listening to God's Word. Whatever you can do to get the Bible inside. Man, today we have so many great resources out there that you can listen to the Bible a lot of different ways all throughout your day doing ordinary things like cooking, cleaning, um, driving, exercising, even bathing. Um, For some of you, your next step may be just stopping and repenting. Repenting of idolatry. As you've been sitting here listening, what has the Holy Spirit shown you in regards to where your affections are? Who or what are you presently treasuring above Christ? Confess and receive God's forgiveness and ask the Spirit to help you delight in God more than anything else. I think as believers, it's hard for us to be honest and vulnerable sometimes with one another and just say, I'm not feeling it right now. I know that I should love and desire Christ over everything. I know that's what Scripture says. I know that when I came to faith, that's what I wanted. But man, the world is so enticing. So the first part for you might be just being honest, not just with yourself, but the woman sitting next to you. And it's okay to pray and to ask God to let that be your delight, to ask him to help you delight in him more than anything else. But if we go back to verse 12, I want to give us some things that all of us can do to practically live out the know-how, the secret, and the can-do, right? So let's first talk about in times of abundance. We can live by grace. Meditate on and celebrate the amazing grace that has completely changed your life. Because Jesus was perfect in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, there is nothing that you can ever do or think or desire or say that would add to the forgiveness that you have already received from God based on Christ's finished work. Sin is still an ever-present reality in our lives, but it is no match to the grace of our Savior. So live by grace. Give thanks. Recognize and acknowledge that every gift that we have, whether small or large, is from our Father. And do what we did just earlier. Spend time giving praise and adoration and worship to him. We need to remember that our abundance can be taken at any time and replaced with suffering. Treasure Christ and value him above all. Learn to love God for who he is and not just what he can do for you. The best way we do this is by spending time in the Word and in prayer. When we're in God's Word, it awakens us. It awakens and it strengthens our faith. 
And C.S. Lewis said, the great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, and because of Jesus, boldly into the conscious presence of God to relate to him, talk to him, and ultimately enjoy him as our great treasure. I'll say that again. The great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, and because of Jesus, boldly into the conscious presence of God to relate to him, talk to him, and ultimately joy, enjoy him as our great treasure. So enjoy God, enjoy God's goodness and his gifts. But what about those times when we are brought low? Remember that our suffering comes from a loving God. When we're in the midst of suffering, I know it's really easy to know that God is a loving father, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. And this is when we have to fight the lies of our enemy. And we fight those lies with the truth of God's word. So find those truths in scripture and meditate on them. And then ask your friend to pray those things over you and to remind you of those things when you can't remember them for yourself. Remember that God uses all of our suffering for good. And sometimes, lady, ladies, he uses it for others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God uses our suffering to make us effective ministers of his grace. I'll say that again. God uses our suffering to make us more effective ministers of his grace. Remember that Christ is more than all this world can offer us. We never believe that God is all we need until the day we realize that God is all we have. Cry out to God. Let him know what you need. Also, talk to those in your community. This is not a time to live in isolation or to believe that you can handle it yourself. God created us to live in community with other people. Trust that God will give you peace in the midst of your suffering and pain. This is a promise found in scripture, and we serve and love a God who keeps his promises. And finally, rest in your identity as a child of God. Christ is our gain, and whatever we are experiencing on this earth is only temporary. One day, we will spend eternity with him. So ladies, I want us to pray for ourselves and one another that we would truly treasure Christ above all and that we would find ourselves satisfied 
in him. And then after I pray, we have some discussion questions at the table that I want you to interact with one another with, okay? So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, those who have gone before us, like Paul, um, that we can look to and see how the way that you um, taught him and the way that you are faithful and the way that um, we can know what it means to be content and that we know that we need to treasure you. Lord, but to be honest, we know that we have a heart that is sinful and deceitful and we long and we desire things other than you and that we have idols in our lives that um, take the place um, that you so deserve. So Lord, help us all be willing to tear down those idols, be willing to confess and to repent and to ask and to pray, uh, to desire and to delight in you above all things. Lord, help us to um, yield to your spirit um, as we discuss now these questions, Lord, that we would be willing to um, clearly see our hearts, that we would do business with you, that we would allow the spirit to move and change and shake us and form us more into the image of your son. Thank you for your son. For it is your son that allows us to even be able to look like you, um, the work that he has already done. Um, Lord, I pray that you be with the ladies now. I pray that you would take away any anxiousness or fear, um, that they would not worry about what someone else will think of their answers or the state of their heart. The Lord, that they would do the work that needs to be done, um, that you would receive the glory, and that... Um, your, your name would be praised. And it's your name that we pray these things. Amen.